The attitude of the tower builders is righteousness by works full of pride that lifts you high. The attitude of those who build an altar God's way and who don't try to climb up to God, who build an altar on level ground, humility, kneel at that altar. That attitude is the attitude of righteousness by faith. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And as a reminder, you can always turn into the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You're most welcome to be our guest, either online or in person. The last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of Towers and Altars with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We will conclude that broadcast here today. Here is Pastor Mike. Why did they build a tower? The ancients built towers to model the universe and to control it also. You see a picture of the pyramids. Those pyramids are aligned with the constellation of Orion. Most people don't realize that. When you look on the ground from space, it resembles what you look at above. The Orion mystery, you can see the three prominent stars. It matches the outline of the the great pyramids of Giza. They believe that if you could climb up to heaven, you can harness the power of the gods and the stars themselves by the power of the tower. In Deuteronomy 4.19, God said to Moses, You shall not worship the host of heaven, for it has been given over the nations. See? But it's not your inheritance. You're to worship me. Man can do anything if he builds a tower that's high enough and strong enough, they thought. So let's build it strong, high, and tall. And that is why they would build their altars on the high place mounds, because they believed that if you have to be good, smart, gifted, strong, high enough to climb up to God on your own. That is why God commanded his people to never build his altar on a high place mound to resemble a tower in any way. Why? Here's why. Because we don't climb up to God. God comes down to us. Big difference. When his people build a simple altar with no artistic work on it, in Exodus 20, God commanded them to do this so the altar would not look pretty, It would not have to have steps so you climb up to it so that God would come down. And where his name is remembered, when an altar was built on level ground from simple stones, he would come down, his presence would be manifested, he would be there with the person who knelt at that altar. And thus the tower builders are always trying to climb up to God so God will accept them because of their good efforts, their perfection, or anything else. See, religious people can be tower builders. All they got to do is come up with a system of works that makes them feel like they arrived. Friend, I want to be perfect, but not in my way. I don't want any kind of perfection. It's based on me talking to myself like I'm a good person. It's in my brokenness I find a Savior. It's in my sense of sinfulness. I am blessed with grace. And when I think I've arrived is when I'm not there. In contrast, the true worshipers of God build altars on level ground because they remember the character of a kind God who comes down in humility to save them in their brokenness and need. God told the children of Moses when he was at the burning bush, I have heard of the affliction of my people. I know what their taskmasters have done to them. And I have come down. The attitude of the tower builders is righteousness by works full of pride that lifts you high. The attitude of those who build an altar God's way and who don't try to climb up to God, who build an altar on level ground 
humility, kneel at that altar. That attitude is the attitude of righteousness by faith. Exodus 20, verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. I'm a personal God. I'm not this distant deity that doesn't care about you. Verse 23. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, or literally in my face, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. So money can't be your God, friend. Look at verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name, Shem, to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool upon it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar. (laughs) You don't climb up to my altar that your nakedness be exposed, not exposed upon it. Now the Laodicean church is naked. Why? Because the Laodicean church's condition is righteousness by works. It is a bankrupt religious experience because you cannot climb up to the altar. You have to kneel at the altar and God comes down. No pretty altars and no climbing up to God are allowed in order to find Him. God says, just come to me. Jesus said, come unto me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which is the law of God, upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. God says, just come to me on your knees and level ground and call on my name, Hashem, the name, and I will come to you. In the narrative, God came down to inspect those tower builders, and he found them unwilling to call on his name because they were too busy making a name for themselves in that narcissistic place. Narcissism and self-worship is always at the heart of false religion. And where self is enthroned, friend, God can never be king in the heart. That is why God has to tear down our towers so we can learn in life to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. When you look good, you're not saved. You look good to you, you're not saved. When you realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior to do things right is when you fulfill the condition when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Genesis eleven six, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And there confused their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, and from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused, that's the verb balau in Hebrew, to mix, mixed or confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And that's how we got the conflict of nations, that's how we get wars, that's how we get people to understand each other. It all comes from Babel. Can you think of an event where people came together and everyone understood the language instead of not understanding? That would be when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And the prophet Zephaniah said the day will come when God's people will worship him in one accord with a pure speech. He's predicting the feast of Pentecost as the reversal of the Tower of Babel. When God's people would hear the gospel in prophetic terms proclaimed and no barrier from any nation on the face of the earth would prevent the clear word of God from being heard and it would bring people back together again. Friend, the first angel's message is a reapplication of the apostolic message at the time of the end before Jesus returns. 
in the context just before 1844, leading up to the coming of Christ, there will be a gospel message, and there has been, but more so, to every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And the Tower of Babel, in time Babylon comes down. So they wanted to gather in their own name, so God scattered them because of his name. They lost their unity in their striving to build on it. They lost the gift of one language in their attempt to improve it. They lost their ability to continue building the city in their boastful climb and claim that they could rise to greater heights on their own. And so the tower builders gave up building the tower because God intervened. God stopped it. God tore down the tower, so to speak. In the end, friend, the best efforts of man can never create a new world order that is able to climb up to God. It could not happen. Why? Because all our towers come down in time. We can't build the future on our own. In the book of Revelation, end time Babylon is a religious system. It's a Christian corrupted religious system at the time of the end. That was the medieval church state system of the Middle Ages re-expressed as a socialist Marxist reality at the time of the end. When people surrender civil liberties around the world, where eco-religion joins the medieval religion, saving the planet is more important than saving souls. And as a result of this, the world descends into its final crisis when no man can buy or sell, when every principle of the Constitution has been repudiated, as the prophet of the remnant church has said. In this final crisis that we are facing, friends, you can't afford to be in any ism but Christ. I don't care if it's the left or the right. You better be in Jesus. Because the two get together at the time of the end. And if you think it's in one party or another, you're in the wrong party. I'm voting for Jesus Christ and his kingdom today in this pulpit. By rejecting Bible truth, end time Babylon will try and make a name for itself. By creating a new world order where everyone agrees because they are told to by religious authorities or the state, finally they will say you must break the fourth commandment of the law of God. Now if we can compromise on the sixth commandment, we will break the fourth commandment. That's a fact. If we compromise on the second commandment, we will break the fourth commandment. Because all are one. The ten are a description of God's holy covenant Yahweh name. So you break one, you break them all. No church claiming to be the people of God on earth has a right to force, manipulate, or control the conscience of another human being or any believer. Let every man be persuaded, every woman be persuaded in their own mind. The book Great Controversy, we are told that the principle of compulsion force is contrary to the principles of God's kingdom. That God uses none of it. He uses truth and evidence to win people to his cause. The other is the spirit of Antichrist. In Babylon, the harlot in the book of Revelation commits fornication with the beast power, the kings of the earth, the ten kings, by uniting church and state in an oppressive form that will enforce the mark of the beast at the time of the end. Revelation 18.4. Here's the last message of this world. How many of you believe in the three angels' messages? Did you know there are four? Now, the Millerites only thought there were two. Even though they were reading the third one, they just didn't know what it meant, and they didn't even focus on it. Not until 1844 did the third angel's message come online. And when that was being taught, others realized it drew us to the Sabbath. The worship of the beast have no Sabbath rest in the mark of the beast issue. The fourth commandment, it even ends with saying, here are those who keep the commandments of God, because one has been forgotten. Sabbatarianism came online in the Second Great Awakening after 1844, the third angel's message. But the fourth angel's message, the world is illumined with the glory of the fourth angel in Revelation 18.1. 
It is a global message of undiluted power that will reach to the ends of the earth. And men and women who have never heard the truth, even if they don't understand its logic, the power of the Holy Spirit will compel them based on the unction of God and His Word to get out of Babylon because Babylon is a corrupt religious order at the time of the end that will have killed people in the Mark of the Beast issue. And in that final call, they will come. Now, there was a dry run of this in 1843 to 44. When Charles Fitz preached his famous sermon of 1843, Babylon is is falling, get out of Babylon now, that sermon created the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Charles Fitch stood in the pulpit and he declared that there must be a people in the face of the earth who take the Bible and the Bible only, who are faithful to its teachings, who don't philosophy away its clear revelation. And that was the beginning of what would become the Seventh-day Adventist movement that weathered the great disappointment of 1844. Those people appealed to their friends and neighbors to get out of their churches because Christ was coming. They thought in the year 1844. The same will happen at the very end. There are people outside our ranks who are godly Christians, who revere the Word of God, who don't know the Sabbath truth, because some of us have taught it legalistically. So how can you grab the Sabbath if you don't see Jesus as the center of the thing? But that will change in the Mark of the Beast issue. And a large number of those, we are told, will take their stand for the Lord, and they will give that final warning as they appeal to their families and friends to get out of these relationships that have kept them away from the truth. And at that point in time, when the fourth angel's message, the loudest of all, the one that repeats the second angel, is given, the earth is illumined with its glory, and there's one people ready for the coming of Christ. God has healed the rift in the Protestant world, in the Christian world, because there will be one people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The Reformation gave us righteousness by faith. You know, don't dog the Reformation. But Adventism was led to the knowledge of the Sabbath through prophetic fulfillment. And the mark of the beast, godly Christians around the world will get it. And they will be a commandment-keeping, righteousness-by-faith kind of keeping people at the time of the end. I get excited about that. I get excited because we are living just before the loud voice of the third angel's message. It hasn't happened. There are voices in our denomination, I've heard them, a former professor of mine at the seminary, I'm not going to mention him by name, but who has this new theory going around that there will be no Sunday law. And I am amazed at how many of my associates take this seriously. This is a direct attack upon the third angel's message. We are living on the eve of its proclamation. And we cannot afford to be fooling around with nonsense in our study of the Bible. I am challenging you not to take my word, but to study the scriptures for yourself. At the end of Shem's genealogy, God calls Abram from Ur of the Chaldees to leave the land of Babylon. That's the fourth angel's message stuff at the time of the end. You can't build an altar that is right with God. And God can't bless you when you're trying to climb up to God in your life on your own terms. Ur means light in Hebrew. Abraham left Ur, the land of light. Satan always masquerades as an angel of light. The world offers its own version of truth, light, science, philosophy. And God says, leave it all behind for the faith and the journey. You may not have all the answers, but follow my word. You're going to make it. You won't find me and my blessing in the land of tower builders, God says. Get out. So get out and go to the place that I will show you with my light and my way. 
Genesis 2.1, I love this call of Abraham. It's like the fourth angel's message in Revelation. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. We will continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you would like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that at the close of our broadcast today. You can also attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in streaming format on that website. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. That's everything those tower builders wanted to do. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. See, they wanted to make for themselves a name. I'll make your name great. Your sham great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Two chapters later, Melchizedek shows up and blesses him. As I said, heavy evidence that Melchizedek is sham. He probably would have been a Denisovan, eight to nine feet tall, standing over little Abram and blessing him, just like Noah had blessed him after the flood, passing it on by direct line, the sacred line of the name. At the age of 75, Abram took his wife and his possessions and his nephew Lot, and he left the town called Light to go to the place where God would bless him and show him the way. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't bless us right away in our life, right? Why can't I have it right now? Friend, God can't bless you when you are on the wrong ground. He can't bless you unless you leave the bad place for the good place in life. He can't bless you unless you forsake the land of tower builders for a good place that God will show you where to build that holy altar for His name's sake. I would rather have many altars than a church building. Altars like Vespers, prayer meeting, Bible studies. Then a building. I'm grateful for our building. Abraham is famous in the book of Genesis for building one altar after another in the Holy Land. He didn't build towers. Abraham built altars, and so should we. You can't climb your way out of your troubles in life, but you can pray your way out of trouble as you go to God on your knees on level ground. Build an altar. You can't fix your faulty character by trying harder and harder. It's impossible. Climbing higher and higher like the tower builders, but you can fall on your knees in humility and brokenness and call on the name of the Lord. And Jesus can fix your life. Every deficiency of character can be supplied. Every fault corrected. Every excellence developed when you fall on your knees. As He forgives you, restores you, changes you, empowers you with the Holy Spirit, blood and water, forgiveness and Holy Spirit power on level ground, at the altar. And so Abraham went to Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. Tall trees are natural towers. As I said, they represented cosmic trees. He thought that maybe that would help him find God at a cosmic tree. Paradoxically, God met him at that tree when he appeared to him at the Oak of Morah because he wanted to meet him. God meets us where we are at. Abraham had incomplete understandings. But Abram kept on going, kept on growing, kept on knowing till he grew up to be the mighty father of faith. His journey in the Bible is the movement from east to west unless he got tempted. In which direction did he go when he got tempted? South to Egypt, which is worldliness. 
We, like him, move from east to west and we're walking with God. But when worldliness comes in the church, we go south to Egypt. The philosophies of worldliness of Egypt permeate the church because of compromise. Abram had to come back and get back on the road. The west is the sunset of life. The east represents the dawn of life. He's moving from the beginning to the end. The book of Hebrews says he's looking for a city in the future that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Every life has a beginning that is in the east, and every life has an end that moves toward the west. And like Abram, we too journey also from east to west. Now here's the question. Where is God to be found in this journey from east to west that is the life journey? We live in the middle of east and west, don't we? The beginning and the end. Where is God on the hard road and often the lonely road that is the life road moving from east to west? Turn to Genesis 12, 7 and 8. Open your Bibles one more time. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built there an altar of the Lord who appeared to him. Thence he removed to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And I like this. And there he built an altar to the Lord between east and west. And he called on the name of the Lord like they did in that first revival in Genesis 4.26. One man, not a lot, doing the right thing. The hope of the world, the faith of Abraham. Ai means to bend or twist in Hebrew. C.S. Lewis called Satan the bent one because sin is a perversion of God's natural order. It bends and twists his law and will. Bethel means the house of God. Abram built the altar with Ai to the east and Bethel to the west. Friend, every believer leaves sin like Ai behind in his or her journey west to Bethel. The house of God that will appear at the end of time. We live between east and west. Abram didn't wait to build an altar when he arrived at Bethel. That's the future. He was looking for a city that has foundations. Bethel represents that, the house of God. Abram didn't wait to build an altar at Bethel. Abram built his altar on the way to Bethel, to the house of God. He built his altar between the beginning and the end of things. That represents every day of our life. Between east and west, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Every day of his life, in the middle of his life. And so should we. And that is the place where God found him and blessed him and kept him and grew him. Between east and west is where we live today. Not at the perfect outcome of God's journey, but right now when we're struggling with imperfection. Dear heart, stop building towers to prove yourself to God. And start calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Every day of your life, before the sun sets in the west, before the kingdom of God comes in all its glory at the end of time, friend, today is the day of salvation. God and Jesus will be your best friend on the hard and lonely road. And God and Jesus will show you the way home. So take up your cross and follow him, calling on his name. How many of you choose to call in the name of the Lord? To not build a tower to God, but to call in the name of the Lord where you live in life. All the way home, he'll hold your hand. He'll lead you. So never stop building those altars. Vespers, prayer meeting, prayer home circles, your personal devotional life. Never stop building those altars. Towers or altars? Altars. Build altars. Build altars. Dear Father, we want to leave Ur of the Chaldees, the land of light, for the light of the world. And Father, we don't want to be fanatical. We just want to be right, enthusiastic, reasoned, 
for truth, for the saving of men and women, our own souls also. Lord, bless both of our congregations, our ministries, so that people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus at the time of the end. Lord, thank you for the wonderful gift of the Internet, of this angelsintheglen.org website. Bless it, Father. May it have a global impact. We live in a time of darkness when too few are willing to share prophetic truth at this time. Maybe because it's been done badly in the past. Maybe done well and help us, give us wisdom for these ends. And Lord, we want to see people baptized and grow and be obedient, servants of Jesus, and so you'll be pleasing with the fruit of these efforts. Keep us away from worldly kind of thinking both the kind that would sacrifice principle and the kind that would make us feel good about ourselves to where we're arrogant. Keep us in Jesus and bless everyone here. Save your people. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. That will conclude Towers and Altars. Today is Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxenteco. Thank you so much for listening today. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, the address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you are certainly welcome to join us online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.